Hi, well, thanks for joining us again. This is Neil, joined by Zoe. Hi, guys. And we have Josh Williamson with uh, Cellus Pharmaceutical joining us. And more so than specifically what Josh has been doing, and he'll tell us here in a moment how that program looks, feels, and, and really kind of the stories of his success around promotion of his program, how he's evaluating the value to the business or, or in general. But actually, let, why don't we just jump to Josh and let him. Josh, you told me your title a minute ago. I told you I swear I'll, I'll forget it if I don't write it down. I didn't write it down, so I forgot it. So let me hand the mic to you. Would you just kind of introduce yourself? And then, of course, as we kind of mentioned, there's what people call us and then there's what we really do. So feel free to elaborate on that however you feel. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Neil. I'm, I'm super excited to be here. Appreciate the intro. I am a senior technical analyst for commercial learning and development at Astellas Pharma US. And what that fancy thing basically means is any sort of learning technologies that will touch our field sales organization, myself and another individual are the go-to point people for that. And we call ourselves Learning Technologies. And in addition to podcasting, I also do audio video production and consulting internally about helping people produce training videos, podcasts. And the other main part of my role is producing virtual classroom trainings for webinars, for product trainings, and for other areas of the organization that also want to deliver webinars outside of commercial learning and development or field sales organizations. So I do a lot of different things. But recently, there has been a huge ask and a lot of excitement around podcasting and what it takes to create our own content that people are used to consuming and following in the public world, a lot of groups want to learn how to leverage that internally. And that's sort of where our group, Learning Technologies, has decided to own that for the US organization and be the champions for how that will look great at a corporate level. So if, if, I, if I heard you correctly, both the constituencies were really pushing for, hey, how can we maximize this medium simultaneously while you were a consumer and obviously in your area looking for the various ways to connect and lift the learning for X, Y, and Z, stickier, more consumable pieces, things like that. The, just the normal types of challenges, I would think, that come into building a training program, both at scale, but also to make sure you're maximizing the value of the resources that are being dedicated. Is, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. One of the initial things that we started with was an ask about how to maximize a field representative's windshield time. So really the time that happens while an employee is in the car going from place to place in between their actual job. One of the things we used to do was provide cassette tapes. And then later on, we provided CDs. And it got to be a point where that was quite cost ineffective. It was very expensive to produce physical media and distribute that out. 
And so we paused. It was one of those things that we decided not to do anymore. And there's been a lot of asking, inquiring, a lot of feedback about people missing that and wanting something to replace. Why couldn't we have a radio station or a podcast or something that could be delivered digitally and be easily consumed on the user's own time? And that's why we decided to adopt podcasting. It's been quite a long process to get to the point where we are now, where we're live. I would say it's been about two years in the making from conception, from planning, to beginning to have production meetings with different stakeholders to design content and to then scope that out to produce it, to edit it, and then to finally launch. So that was really the big ask of us in L&D was how could we solve for that missing issue? And then one of the things that we really we settled on during that process was how could we also take our learning items, stuff that we might distribute in a learning capacity... And now have podcasting be able to support us in learning and development, right? So that was another thing that we got really excited about was this new medium that we had not been involved in yet from a learning perspective. How could we create small, digestible pieces of content that more or less are micro-learnings? They're not required. They're not going to be tested on. But they're in addition to their supplemental learnings for our individuals. So that way, if there was a moment of need, if there was a just-in-time learning moment to be had, it would be easily found in our podcast app. If there was a topic or a situation that is covered, that was sort of the goal for us is to not only take advantage of like a broader organization ask of how could we reach our field salespeople, how could we reach our home office employees in a new, hip way, something that would be easily done and easily repeatable and scalable. But how could we also then do that for our learning and development organization and then everyone would be happy with the same solution. How's that going? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. Things are actually going really well. So we launched in April of this year, which is 2019. So we are now in October. So make that like, you know, seven, six months of being live. And we are up to about 800 users. And we have... Let me pull up the app real quick. While you're looking for that, it's great about the upgrade from or to podcasting from, like you mentioned, physical media such as cassettes and CDs. Now you have that communication accountability. You can tell us the amount of people or the amount of users that are listening opposed to the CDs. You know, you didn't know exactly who pushed play in their car to listen to the to the audio. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. You know, if you guys want to get into metrics, I mean, think about the amount of data that, and demographic information and just feedback that you don't get from physical media, right? Now, if you are delivering in a digital format, the ability to report and to gather information about your users 
whether it's did they press play? Did they complete it? Did they re-listen? How many times did they re-listen? Is there a point in the audio where they fall off? Is there a point where they jump back to or they skip ahead to? All of this is now quantifiable in the digital world, right? There's no way that anyone could have gotten those types of metrics from passing out CDs or tapes and saying, good luck. I hope you listen to this. This tape cost us X amount of dollars. We hope you use it. So yeah, if you know, yeah, referring to types of metrics, the sky's the limit with this type of medium, because there's so much that can happen on the back end that the user is not aware of and it doesn't interfere with the experience. But on the administration side, we can use it to our advantage to then help us create the next pieces of content. If we have an episode that gets 10 times more re-listening opportunities than the other episodes, we will probably gather that either the speaker or the topic was amazingly engaging for our audience. So we're probably going to want to do something along that lines again to keep our listeners happy and interested in using podcasts. You talked a little bit about the the process to to launching the program and I'm so excited to hear about the success that that you've had thus far in this, this first 6 or 7 months of being live, but if we go back in time and it was Obviously, there's a commitment to to go and do this and an excitement to go do it. I'm sure in your mind, at least at some level, you, you painted some sort of expectation around the effort or what would be involved in that. You know, maybe talk a little bit about your background in audio and, and overall in general. I think when we talked last time, you didn't tell me you were in a band. So I know that this is a piece of, of your life all the same. But in the corporate environment, podcasting, a lot of people are doing it for the first time. And, and so... If anybody's like me, they kind of go, well, what's the thing that sort of looks and feels and smells and sounds like this a little bit so I can try to set some expectations internally or just with myself? And and I'm wondering, as you were doing that, what, what were the comps that you were mentally doing, if, if at all? And and how did the end product or the process, the program, how did it foot with your expectations? I'm curious about that. Yeah, absolutely. Before I forget, I do want to say that I do want to let you know how many like episodes we we have and like or at least like how many shows we had. I don't want to forget that because I know that was a question that we had earlier that you might want to plug. So I'll pause and maybe grab that and then address, you know, that question. So we have over 800 users in the app since our launch and we are up to 11 different shows that are broadcast out to different groups in our organization. We have one show that is public for everyone at our company. And then the rest of the shows are targeted to different field sales organizations based on their role at our company. So we do target different groups of individuals so they can see certain pieces of content. And that has worked out really well for us to provide specific content for specific users. And we've gotten great feedback that that's what people are looking for. It's great to have general company-wide content, but then to have targeted content that makes the user feel a little more in control and, quite frankly, a little more popular or a little more 
important, right? Because they have content that's just for them that someone else in the organization doesn't necessarily get to see, but it's content that's relevant to what they're doing. Have you found that having sort of those micro groups, it is better sort of for promotion as well and closing that feedback loop around fine tuning the the content for the groups rather than trying to come up with two or three themes of feedback across a large group, you're getting to to do maybe more micro adjustments to, to the formats and things? So absolutely, we've been able to take our entire organization and segment that down into more unique roles. That way we can provide them with targeted content. And then that way, if we do get feedback about a particular show, we know exactly who it's coming from. And it would make sense that that feedback then is a little easier to take action on because then we can pass it back to the groups that directly deal with their content opposed to having a company wide piece of content, which we still do. Sometimes that feedback is a little more difficult to enact on and to actually start or to make progress with because it touches so many different people and with larger pieces of content or episodes that deal with more broad topics, we are set in how that is going to be released to our general populace. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. And so then, and then I interrupted, you were about to, I think you were going to speak a little bit too about sort of how the reality kind of matched with expectations and planning a little bit or how you drew comparables for messaging out or coming up with your promotion, the promotion plan for these programs? Yeah, absolutely. I think you had mentioned earlier, you know, my background, I, I am trained in the the arts, the fine arts. So I have two degrees in music, specifically percussion performance. So I do play some places out in Chicago, I play with an orchestra, I play some recording sessions out of some studios out of the city, or production companies. And I love to do that. That's my passion. And I've also gotten into audio engineering, I do edit a couple of public podcasts, and I've gotten experience with recording some people, and then taking that recording and distilling it into the actual nuts and bolts of what people want to hear. And I've gotten more experience by listening than doing, if that makes sense. So I've always been a a fan of podcasts. And I follow quite a few. I have a bit of a drive every day. So the thing that gets me through that drive and the wonderful Chicago traffic is a podcast of some sort. And I follow quite a few. And one of the things that I do appreciate are their release days. A lot of the popular podcasts that are worth their snuff, they come out at the same time every week or monthly and people look forward to it. And if they don't drop people are upset. (laughs) And they provide their feedback about it. And they hear about it. I know that because one of the podcasts that I edit right now actually hasn't dropped an episode in about six months. And we hear feedback continuously about where have we gone? What's happened? You know, how long is this hiatus going to be? And so I definitely have learned a lot from listening to really good podcasts that people actually make money with, whether it was Sarah Koenig serial from NPR, which basically revolutionized our podcast world as we know it, to something as humorous as the podcast Dear Hank and John, which is a comedy podcast about death 
And it is... I don't know that one. I'm going to write that down. (laughs) It's a really fun podcast with John and Hank Green, two brothers that are also authors. And they take listener questions. And it is full of humor and not taking yourself too seriously, but also like being able to answer people's questions about life, love, happiness, and it's a great time. So I've learned listening to their types of productions, the the formats of their episodes, and how they do commercials even in their episodes, and thinking about how can this translate into what we do in a professional setting. And a lot of that stuff translates really well, whether it's the cold open or just a simple music intro where there's a voiceover and the introduction to a podcast begins. And then that format becomes expected by the listener and it brands the show for you. Then something as simple as having a commercial in your show for maybe another department, maybe another show that you're producing, but not to take it too seriously, have a quick little interjection, maybe have fake sponsors, you know, things that you can do to make it similar to what people are used to listening to, they're gonna want to come back. The only other thing that we try to do that I really try to stay steady to is keeping the episode short. Our audience doesn't typically have a lot of time at once in their travels or in their vehicles or what that might be. We know that their listening time is probably going to be fairly short. So we want to make sure that they can consume the content and not forget it later. We want them to be able to consume it within a day if there's something new. So we try to stay away from long-form podcasts. I think we can see the usability of that in the future. But for right now, we're sticking to under 20 minutes. And that's been pretty successful. If we do have a longer topic, we have split that up into parts like part one, part two, and making sure that we're not sacrificing the content for the time, but we're being very thoughtful with how that content is delivered and how we put it together so it doesn't drag on and lose people by a certain point. So I've definitely learned a ton from what's happening in the public podcast world and have able to translate that and to see if any of those are relevant to the professional world. And I think a lot of what you hear in the public world translates really easily. That makes a lot of sense, the short form versus long form. I'm guessing that the implication I hear from that is it's probably more narrative than say, say what you and I are doing or here right now. Is that right? So yeah, absolutely. I think the, the short form narrative format has fit our content pretty well. We do have a couple of episodes where like a colleague and I have reviewed a conference that we've gone to. And we actually chunked that out into two parts, because the whole thing was about an hour and a half. And we got each episode down to about maybe like 40 minutes. And we still thought that was long for the two part episode 40 minutes each. So I definitely think that there's certain areas where a longer form makes sense. But for 
our instances when we're talking with a field sales force and we're trying to get them a certain message in a quick, easy to digest format, we want to make sure that we're not getting in the way of the content, especially since we're not quizzing on it. Like it's not tested on. It's not something that it's required to do. It's totally optional. We want to make it worth their time and make sure that they do want to come back and get more. We don't want to reveal all our cards at once, right? So a lot of times what we do, if we're thinking about our production phase is we will scope out maybe four to five episodes and we'll try to record those all at once if we can. That way we have the content owner, we have the subject matter expert, maybe we have a couple of guests and we do it all at once in one fail swoop. That way we can maximize our time editing and doing any mixing mastering all at once. And then we drop the episodes at predetermined times later on throughout maybe a quarter, throughout maybe six months. And that way, we are able to keep to that release schedule that I talked about earlier, that people that subscribe or are waiting for the next episode to come out, they know what to expect. And we aren't constantly under the gun to record, to edit, and then to publish, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And I think that that is such a smart strategy, which is, you know, we're going to make shows, we're going to make the episodes, and we're going to find the types of broadcast podcasts that, and it's it's not hard to find, you know, the ones that are getting 4 million downloads versus four on a weekly basis. It's pretty easy. And you can kind of look at that and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. They They are going to pretty much show you the playbook for, look, if you want to you want to have a format that is sticky and it fits your business case. Here's two, three, four lookalikes. Use that sort of as the, the structure and then kind of fill in between. I love the idea that you even kind of spoof commercials. That's hilarious. I, I haven't heard anybody say anything about that. And I think it's so smart as far as drop in. Oh, this brought to you by so-and-so's dot release that will be coming to you in two weeks. Don't forget to ask, you know, your, your, your manager about it or, you know, whatever it could be. I think that's hilarious. One of the things that we've tried to do or that that we're at least conceptualizing now is like information systems or like IT updates as commercials, because it's one of those things that is easily missed. And, you know, via email isn't always the best way to communicate things. So if we could do commercials about maybe like an iOS update or a new version of some system that we're using that we need to make sure everybody is on. The only thing that we have paused on at the moment is making sure that that timely update makes sense. You know, if someone goes back and listens to this episode six months from now, that's not really going to be relevant anymore. But it still could have a weight of humor, which is my thought that it still could deliver a little bit of a break in the content and still be valuable to some. So I definitely think that those types of things could really be limitless. Whatever you come up with creatively is fair game. As long as you know you have buy-in from the group producing or the content, don't feel like you want to limit yourself just because it's a professional setting, right? Humor and good-natured discussion can still be relevant in a professional setting. Yeah, well, you know, greedy game the system, Neil, right here. The, immediately, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go around to the, to the different uh, functional areas and I'm going to be like, hey, finance. Would you like me to drop a little 
10 second in here to remind everybody to get their expense reports in within three days of the order. So we can close out the books or hey, HR, do you want to make sure that we get all of our new insurance form paperwork in on time for new hires? Here you go. I mean, I, how about we talk about what you could do for me to make sure that I, that I do that for you? So they could all have their own little jingle and a do, 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 do. It's the HR moment, you know, <laughs> and everybody looks forward to that HR moment, right? That's right. We know that we know that there are internal economies in any business. I mean, you know, that's just the way that goes. So, hey, what I want, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about before we have to go here, because I want to be respectful of your time and what have you, is I was hoping you could talk to us a little bit about your rollout plan, right? So you kind of, obviously, a lot of time and resource and effort was put into it. And when you went live, obviously, you wanted to make sure that adoption was good, which it sounds, sounds like it's been great. And so I would attribute that, obviously, content's a big deal, but kind of have to get that content in front of someone for the first time. And maybe you could talk a bit about how you rolled out your program and where the different tactics you used, where you felt, oh, this was a really successful way to boost engagement and adoption. Oh, this one kind of, I thought this would make a lot of sense, but actually it didn't. Whatever you've learned, I'd love to hear you talk about that a little. Yeah, absolutely. That was besides having a solution that was easy to use that we could segment our users with the second need was a robust stalwart communication plan that made sure that everyone knew what was going on our case was maybe a little atypical in that we already had people podcasting but it wasn't unified so a couple of groups had started doing it on their own And one group had their own application. Another group was using an internal resource. And then some people had learned that our group in learning and development was also trying to podcast. So we had the task of unifying some groups that were already doing it and then reaching users that had not started podcasting yet or consuming them. There were some that were and some that weren't. So... The main thing that we did was we created what we called a core evaluation team. And that was an internal group of people that we identified as being potential owners of content that might be delivered via podcast. And so they ranged from all different groups, all different functional areas. And they were the ones that helped us identify their users, that helped us identify the types of content that they either already had and were wanting to make them podcasts or they really were podcasts or future content that they were planning on delivering as podcasts. So that gave us a scope. And that gave us the at least an idea of how many users and how many areas we were looking to target. Once we had that, we then divided it into groups that had content and groups that didn't. The groups that didn't, they were pretty good to go with what we were selling and what we were working with. They were along for the ride. The group of people that already had content, we had to review it a little bit and make sure that it was going to come into our new unified system in a very easy way so the users that were already consuming podcasts could dive into that new experience without hiccups. We needed to kind of transition them from their old way of doing it to this new way. And then the people that were not engaging in podcasting yet, 
they were just going to join the group fresh. So we basically had two different communication plans. Like I said, those that didn't have podcasting, but now we're in, boom, there we are. And then those that were already in a different application, we wanted to get them into the new. And so I really relied on the subject matter experts for those areas of people that were already podcasting to help sell the story of why we were transitioning. It was always about the why. We always related it back to employee-driven feedback about how they were looking for a way to podcast, how podcasting is something that is not going away. It's a really accessible medium and the benefits of it. So it was always the why and it was always the benefits. After talking about the why, the benefits really come down to Being able to save for offline use was pretty big for us, especially if there's travel involved where someone might not have a data signal. The ability to subscribe was big, so they get automatic notifications. And then the ability to skip ahead and back was another big seller for us. Every podcast app that exists allows you to jump ahead and back in small increments. So we wanted our users to have as close of an experience to their personal podcasting life that they could in their professional one. That way, they would be more likely to adopt. So when it came time to launch, we focused on our migrating users first and explained how we were doing it, what we needed to do, what they needed to do, and then how that would make their lives better. And it was really an email campaign. We sent out an introductory email explaining what was happening and when. And then we sent out that final launch communication email saying, now we're live. And we had migrated all their existing shows and episodes into the new app and let them go. We let the old app live for a little while, make sure everybody transitioned, pulled whatever data we needed to away from that. And then we sunset our old application. And then about that time, it was ready. We actually had produced new content for the people who didn't have anything yet. And so those functional areas got just a single communication explaining what the podcast app was, what the experience looked like, and then a couple of starter shows and episodes that they could then start with and consume. I love it. I love it taking all that and condensing it down, you know, one of the big things I heard there, which by the way, I could parallel very much to our experience as a business is that identifying that early adopter, that pro podcast group, we see this a lot with our customers and clients that come to us. You know, we will see so many companies that come to us for a variety of reasons, but one of them certainly is you've got companies that are looking for a new way to connect with their groups, their audiences, they are early adopters because they already subscribe to the idea of podcasting personally. And so they've, they've just transferred that idea into a corporate setting and thought, well, why wouldn't this work? And I think that that's a really good message that you have there, which is as a program owner internally, that makes a lot of sense to find who are those people within the audiences, you know, you know whether it's email or user groups or what have you, kind of finding out, do I already have super users hidden within my overall audience? Because they could be terrific internal advocates, right? And then obviously, you want to have that consistent messaging. And like you said, attach the the why with the value. Those are all really important. But just in terms of also getting that good positive reinforcement, that could be a tremendous 
tremendous group to you for being able to give really good feedback too, right? Because they are super users. And, and a lot of times they'll really have their, their, their fingers on the pulse of what to do. And in our experiences, those types of customers and users, they're all about improvement. You know, they're like, oh, I would love for this to be even better. And this is what I think can work. And, and I'm sure that that exists within any program, any audience, any corporation, just you know, kind of transferring that idea, it, it's not specific to something else. The, those same personas exist within a podcast community as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really the biggest takeaway for me is the ability to use what you know, what you have already experienced, and to take a chance and present that to your leadership, present that to some of your stakeholders and say, I think we could do this here and be successful. Josh, that's awesome. We're so excited to have y'all as, as clients of you studio and excited to, to hear about your programs and your progression with this program over time. And, and just really appreciate you being gracious with your time to talk to us of, about your program, about your strategy, about your, the way you thought about rollout I love the idea of building merchandising into your podcast program for internal <laughs> for internal functions. That's amazing. But thanks again for spending some time with Zoe and I. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Neil and Zoe, for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. I hope I get to do it again in the future. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.